It's an honor to be with you today, and if you would, join me in prayer before we open the word. Lord, we seek you in this time. We seek your truth. We seek the wisdom and the power and the presence of your word and your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that your words would be in my mouth, that your thoughts would be in our minds, and that your love would be in our hearts for your glory and yours alone. Amen. And so I work with an organization called Link Twin Cities, and the very heart of my job is to empower local leaders to start new churches and literally take the gospel to the streets. It is a, joy, it's a joyful job to be a part of, and with that, uh, I believe wholeheartedly that we need the whole church working together with the whole gospel to reach our whole city. And so to that point, uh, as we talk about why the church, I'd like to paint with a broader stroke than just why you as students should be connected into the broader church. You're a part of the body. What I want to talk about is why the whole body, the whole church should be connected. And for that, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. So if you would follow me here. Actually, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and pay special attention here. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And I want to spend the rest of our time really unpacking that verse 25. Let us not neglect meeting together. So uh, I was kind of meditating on that passage a while back, and I used to always think as a pastor, uh, not neglect meeting together. That just means go to church, be in a small group, hang out with other Christians. But, but something really struck me recently, and that that passage is speaking to the whole church and if we are really honest about the church today, the church in the Twin Cities, the church in America, it is incredibly segregated and divided. Would you agree with that? It's amazing to me. And, and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. used to say the most segregated hour is Sunday morning. The most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning church. And I think that is still largely true. And it's not just racial segregation. It's it's even churches that think very similarly about the gospel across the street from each other, not working together. So what does it mean to really work together? I think it's those keystone things from the book of Acts. It's fellowship, it's prayer, it's breaking bread, it's, it's living life. And so if you think about that, why is our church so divided? What, what does that look like when the church comes together? So I have a good friend, an African-American pastor, planting a church here in the cities or working towards that. We're praying about that right now. And he says to me, he said to me recently that the typical white church in America sees God as a provider and a comforter. And he says the typical African-American church in America sees God as a healer and a redeemer. And he says when we come together and we fellowship together, when we worship together, we all get a more full view of who God is. So my first point about why the whole church needs to come together is because together we see more fully who God is. And I think a reason that we often struggle with not seeing that is because the center of our worship way too often is ourselves and not the Lord. So question for y'all, how many of you are dog people? 
All right, a lot. How many of you are cat people? Right, if you have more than one, if you have more than one, you are automatically a cat person, okay? So how many of you are dog and cat people? You've got a few of them in your house, both. All right, that's how it is in our house. We've got both. And, um, and I've noticed something. Dogs and cats are very different. So when you leave your house, what does your dog do? Like it runs to the door, waits for you, probably gets in a little bit of trouble, right? When you come back, what does your dog do? It's like, I missed you, 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 right? And start just all over you. I love you. I lo Maybe you have an outlier dog that's just lazy and doesn't do that. For most part, though, dogs are like, I missed you, I missed you, I missed you, I missed you. If you have a cat and you leave the house, what does your cat do? Meh. Right? You come home, and what does your cat do? Eh. Like, it doesn't really care. I mean, we left one time for a week, and we came back, and they, then the cat kind of yelled at us, like, what, what's wrong with you people? Feed me or something. And you might be saying, oh, you don't understand. My cat cares about me, right? My cat rubs up against me, right? So think about this. When a dog, when you come home, a dog, you are the center of a dog's universe. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. When you're gone, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you. For a cat, you are property. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. When a cat rubs up against you, you know what they're actually doing? They're scenting you so that everyone else knows you belong to them. <laughs> so think about this. Way too often for us, the center of our existence is ourselves. And when we look at God, we, we often have a cat mentality. Like, God, you belong to me. God, when's the last time you did something for me? God, where is my comfortable existence that I'm supposed to be promised? Versus as a dog mentality, like, Lord, you are the center of my existence. For you, for you, for you. And if we are gonna come together, the center has got to be the Lord. So if the first point, the first point is together we see a fuller view of God. The second one is that together we grow through challenge. So I've done a few weddings in my life, and I've often, I mean, all the time, 1 Corinthians 13, love passions, all the time. People love that passage. I've often wondered if a better passage for weddings wouldn't be the as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I mean, wouldn't, I mean, it's like sparks will fly <laughs> and you will grow together. Like one time I was doing a wedding and uh, this couple was up front and they're right, it, like you just got to know this, when you do get married, like you get a very intimate sermon. You're talking two feet away. There's no sleeping, there's no hiding, there's no pulling out a phone. And so I'm talking uh, to this couple, and uh, I say about him, hey, this man is not perfect. And like his family started cheering. Yes, we know, we agree. <laughs> He's not perfect. Don't expect him to be, right? And then I point to her, and I made the point, maybe a little stronger, but the point was that she's not perfect either. This bride got amazingly upset at me, like anger. Like this is my wedding day. How dare you say that I'm not perfect? <laughs> and he leans over and he goes, you're perfect to me, honey. Forget that preacher. Like, I can hear you. But, it, but it's interesting, none of us are perfect. And in a marriage relationship, if you go in, if, you, if you've got your list, some of us have that list, this is the person I'm going to marry. They are going to fulfill all these things. Like, you just got to know, even if they do, it's, sparks are still going to fly. 
And the most powerful part of a marriage is that I know I am known with all of my faults and my wife puts up with me. And our love is deeper today, 17 years into marriage, because we've walked through some really messy sparks flying moments. And when we as a church separate sparks flying and we separate instead of coming together, instead of committing together, instead of fellowshipping together, we miss out because we grow together. I want to show you something very powerful in the scripture here. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. It says, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So that word encourage in Greek is a really interesting one. It's the word parakaleo. So if you're reading, I think it's in Hebrews 3, I was reading through and I ran into this. In the NIV, it's translated as encourage one another, and in the ESV, it's like warn each other. And I'm like, what word means encourage and warning? And parakaleo, literally translated, literal translation, is to come alongside of someone. I mean, this is a really powerful word. What it's saying here is that we are to come alongside of each other, parakaleo. Now, now uh, I have a 15-year-old at home who's just learning to drive. Um, it's, it's really good for my prayer life. <laughs> but have you ever been on the road and seen someone else who's a very poor driver? Yeah, what, what kind of reaction do you have? Gracious? Joyful? Say words that you wouldn't say here right now, right? We tend to get angry, like we, we accuse, we get upset. Like it is, it's really hard to get yelly and angry, maybe you had somebody who did, when you're in the car with somebody who's driving. Like I, my job is to warn him and to encourage him because I want to survive this and someday I want him to survive on his own. It's a big difference about teaching someone how to drive, being in the car with him versus being on the outside of the car. So follow me here. Parakaleo is being in the vehicle with somebody else. It's we're in this together. Parakaleo is walking side by side. When someone hurts, I hurt because we're close, we're together. It's fellowship, it's close. We grow in challenge, we grow closer. Now, uh, I don't have time to break down all of this, but just point out something very powerful in scripture. One of the names used for the Holy Spirit in the scripture, do you know what it is? The paraclete. Paraclete is a derivative of that word, parakaleo. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of us. And what is one of the names used of Satan? He's the accuser. So we as a church can either be like Satan towards each other and accuse and divide, or we can be like the Holy Spirit and get in and walk alongside. And when sparks fly, we grow closer. Amen to that? If you don't amen, I get longer. And I know you got class, but amen? All right. All right. Amen. So when God created the world, he said it was... Good. Kevin, you know your Bible, right? He created the sun. Actually, first he created light, and he says it is good. And then he created, like, the earth and the water, and he separated, and he said they are good. And then trees and animals there good we had all these goods and I could just picture God creating everything and he's, he, he shapes the trees and the plants and he makes a giraffe he's got the long neck he makes the rhinoceros they makes the and he's like it is good it is good it is good and then he makes the the platypus he's like it's strange but good 
but good. But then he says, it is not good. And what's not good? It's not good for man to be alone. This is before the fall into sin. This is important that we walk together. So first off, number one, it is so important that the church walks together um, so that we see a fuller picture of God. Secondly, it's so important because we grow even and especially when sparks fly. And thirdly, the reason for the church and the point I want to really drive home is because we together are a shining example of God's creation, God's gospel on display. Like, everyone in our world knows that this world is broken. Everybody does. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not. We all know it's broken, and the evidence is everywhere. Evidence for brokenness abounds in war, in death, in the divided politics, in country music's very existence. Amen? I I just speak truth. We all know it's broken, but listen to this. Who do we blame for the brokenness? Who do you hear being blamed? God. Yeah, God, why don't you do something about this? God, why don't you stop this? And and this this blaming has been going from the very beginning because we've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and Adam... Uh, Adam is standing there when Eve takes the fruit. She, she disobeys God. And from that moment on, brokenness enters, sin enters, and, and the blame game begins. Because God comes to Adam and he says, who did this? Whose fault is it? And what does Adam say? Eve, it's the woman. That's what he says. And then he goes to Eve and, and he says, who, who, whose fault? What, what, what happened here? And she blames the serpent. And so think back to what Adam just said. He said, he, he literally says in scripture, like, this is the woman's fault who you made. In other words, God, all this brokenness is her fault and it's your fault. And that blame game has been going on ever since. Everybody's blaming. Yet here's the most amazing thing, and it's right there in Genesis. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but Eve is not named Eve until after the fall into sin. She's just referred to as the woman. Here's what's amazing to me. Eve, her name Eve, means life. And so right after the fall, God does do something. He promises hope. He says from her seed, will, from her offspring, will come hope. And, and Adam then names Eve life. And this is kind of amazing because he could have named her bringer of death. But he named her life. And in that is the hope that we know named in Jesus. The name Eve carries that promise through. And we today are a people who are a shining example of the gospel of Jesus on display when we stand together not as perfect people, but as forgiven people because of the promise of Jesus. Let me draw it together this way. We are family. We are the family of Jesus. And the whole church, standing on the whole gospel, is saying we need each other like family does. So I've got three kids, and when they were younger, much younger, uh, they used to play superheroes. And uh, my kids would each uh, pick a power. And my boys couldn't decide, so they just were basically every power you could think of, like 
laser eyes, super strength, fly. And if somebody else thought of one, they'd be like, I got that too. <laughs> and so then my daughter, you know, she kind of went her own way. It was like, well, what are, what are your superpowers, honey? And she had two of them. The, the first one was uh, Sonic Scream, <laughs> which she frankly practiced quite often. The second one um, was, she sh and I'm not making this up, she shot babies out of her hand. <laughs> now think about this. This might be the most genius superpower of all time. All right? I see you, evildoer, and I send you a baby. Instant responsibility on all who oppose me. We'll see you in 18 years. Have fun paying for college. Good luck with your evil lifestyle. <laughs> right? It's brilliant. It's unbelievably brilliant. So my kids, that, like, they, you, how, you have siblings, most of you, right? Many of you, probably not all of you. But my kids, man, when they play together well, they play together well. And when they fight, they fight like nobody's business. They pull out all the superpowers, sonic screams, I mean, th throwing pretend babies, the whole bit. Instant responsibility. I just love that. But when you're family, sparks will fly, but you grow together. We are the family of Jesus. We are held together by the blood of our Savior. And in our nation today, in our city, the Twin Cities, there is incredible brokenness happening. And just picture the powerful image it is when we stand together as a family, all colors, all generations, all languages, on the gospel of Jesus, and we say we are family despite all of our faults. We love each other. We walk together, and we are not going anywhere. That is the gospel on display. So hear me. You are a part of the body of Jesus. You are part of the family of Jesus. His name, the name that is life, Jesus, is on you. Please, please walk together with the entire church so that we together would know more fully who God is. So that we together in challenges would be sharpened. And so that we together would be a living example of the gospel of Jesus. One last thought on that living in the gospel of Jesus. As a pastor, um, I often get called into the best situations and the worst situations of people's lives. In fact, one day, uh, I was called to see a baby born, brand new baby. I mean, I didn't literally see it right after birth. And then I went to the next hospital room, and it was a baby who was born, stillborn. Same day. I mean, heart aches, heart breaks. And sometimes those are relational things. And I've seen it where, where a family, a dad, has made just the worst of decisions. I talk, and I won't get into too much detail to hear somebody else's story, but uh, a guy who lost his job because his computer at work was filled with inappropriate images and videos. I watched that family collapse. And I heard from that man on the day that he lost his job that he was so thankful that his secret sin had been re revealed because he was free because his wife knew he wasn't hiding this and here's the miracle of redemption and what it looks like when the gospel when us as a family walk together knowing all of our junk laid out in front of us 
is they are together today with more kids than they had at that day. They are together today. She knows the depth of his sin completely, and she loves him completely. Please understand that the gospel, the church, is not about pretending to have it all together. It's about our sin forgiven. And we walk together because we walk in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Lord God, I pray. I pray for this generation represented in this room. I pray that you would raise up leaders who walk with others, who see your gospel, who bring together the fullness of who you are, that help us to see the fullness of who you are. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, in our challenges, in our struggles, where sparks fly, that we would grow closer. And that, Lord, in the midst of our sin, not hiding it, but confessing it and forgiving it, true repentance, Lord, that we would be a people at church, the whole church, knowing the whole gospel applied, who are a living testimony of what it means to follow you. Living testimony and image of your gospel. In your name, Jesus, and for your glory, amen.